when you start covering a team, you don't really know anything about it. Like my first year covering the Thunder back at the Oklahoman, I'd seen OKC play lots of games on TV, and I had a pretty good sense of the players and the storylines. That was fairly easy given that Kevin Durant left about two months before I got to town. But I wanted to know more. I wanted to get a sense of the team, of the franchise, of the fans. And one of the best ways to do that is to listen to podcasts hosted by those fans. I listened to a bunch of them. And though I don't like to play favorites, I was always drawn in particular to one called Thunderheads. Great audio quality, smart hosts, this really fun atmosphere. They would play games uh, to get into Thunder discussion. Uh, and, and the atmosphere between the guys was really great. And I was lucky enough to get to know those guys when I was on the beat the first time around. That podcast is gone. But those relationships remain. And today, in the spirit of that dear departed Thunderheads show, we'll have a little fun with the mastermind behind it, Brandon Soul. Now the head of content curation at NBA Top Shot, Brandon's still in OKC, still follows the Thunder religiously. He's got season tickets just behind me, and still sometimes needs an outlet to discuss the team. So today, we're separating Thunder fact from fantasy with Brandon Soul. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Thundering. Before we get started, I want to take a minute to thank the sponsors who support our show. MidFirst Bank, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, Oklahoma, and your Oklahoma Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full line of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. And a reminder, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the pod on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. And with that, we're going to get to Brandon. So Brandon, thank you. Thanks for being here. It's really good to just see your face and talk to you and be in a podcasting space with you again. Likewise, Brett. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. It's good to talk Thunder basketball with you. I'm excited. All right. Do you miss this? Do you miss like the Thunder podcasting aspect of your life? I miss it more than anything. Uh, no, it's true. I, I, I mean, I love doing this. This is, this is a passion of mine and always has been. So, of course, I miss it. It's great. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's just in me at this point, right? Like, I, I haven't done it in a long time, but I feel so comfortable sitting here across from you, I guess, sort of across where, you know, we're remote right now. But it just, it just feels good. So, of course, I miss it. And I'm, I'm a little afraid of how I'm going to feel on the other side of this. Is, am I just going to be like, all right, well, what am I doing next? I'm starting my own uh, podcast to compete with Brett. Right. Well, that's, it's not hard to compete with me. That's an easy, that's an easy task. Um, it feels really, it does feel really good to have you. We, we actually, I, we did a podcast together very briefly. We were on Dream Team together for just a short period of time. And then kind of your timing didn't really work out and we didn't get to do it. So we have not really done a lot of podcasting together, but uh, I've known you for a really long time and I like you so much as a podcaster. That's really why I wanted to have you on. Well, that's very kind of you to say, and I, I, the feeling is very mutual. You came on my show, and and you were a big supporter of my podcast way back in the day, Thunderheads, and that always meant the world to me. You helped that show grow. You were a big part of that, and then when you were able to, you eventually came on, and I remember it being one of the funnest shows we ever had. Uh, honestly, it was we, great. We were at your house. We were in like your home, big home studio setup, kind of in your house where it was like a bunch of us in one place. I remember there was a Russell Westbrook Funko Pop on the yeah. uh, on the table. Yeah, that's right. Shout out to my wife for allowing me to build that smack dab yeah. in the middle of like, uh, right of in the middle. Like you had a, like a step down, right? You'd come into your house and yep. there was like a little step down space, and there was like your podcasting space, like that's a right. soundboard, a whole big thing. It was like a whole big elaborate setup. 
That's right. And I think we played when you were on that show, we played a game called Guess That Shoe Size. And I remember the the look you gave the the whole crew and you were like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Yep. Yep. It really was. Uh, and it was, <laughs> it was a great game. It's very Thunderheads-ish. I still, you know, I almost, I'm wearing my, my sellout crowd t-shirt here, one of my sellout crowd t-shirts. I almost wore my Thunderheads t-shirt. Um, which I still have, wow. but it is, it is very much a, uh, sleep in it kind of shirt. I don't think yeah. it looks that great anymore. Uh, yeah. so yeah, therefore the I almost quality. like, I was going to kind of like pull it up, but you guys handed me that. Do you know when I got my Thunderheads t-shirt? Cause I have one. It's like the silhouette of the hosts. I bet you I can guess. And I bet it was yep. when Carmelo Anthony arrived yep. in Oklahoma city at the airport. You guys That's gave right. a bunch of them out, right? You brought some, yes. did you sell them or just give them away? Just gave them away. It was a, yeah. it was our whole strategy to grow the show. <laughs> yeah. It didn't, I, it didn't work that well, but you know what? Say, Everyone got a free works. t-shirt. Big day, though. That was a fun day, the Carmelo thing. That was like a big, big event. Everybody came out to the airport. There were people... I was actually looking. It came up in my um, my memory. You know, your iPhone will show you these. It'll play you those like little... It'll make a little slideshow of a day for you. And that came up as a day. So like clips of Carmelo walking, clips of like people climbing up, trying to get a better vantage point, like scaling the walls. And then like some clips of... I don't think Carmelo actually talked that day. So I think it was all just stuff from there. I don't think we interviewed him until a couple of days later. Um, but yeah, like that, that, that was like, I forget what song my iPhone set that to, but it, it played it for me. That might have been the peak of Carmelo Anthony in Oklahoma City that day. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Yeah. But I used to, I covered college basketball for a long time, and they used to say a Kentucky basketball player never gets more popular than the minute he signs. Like <laughs> yeah. That's the most popular he ever gets. And from then they get to start picking you apart. So, and I, I know we have works. a lot to get to, but. You remember the first game of the season that year by chance? They played the Knicks. The Knicks. And yep. Carmelo hit a big clutch shot. And I remember maybe, so I take that back. Maybe that was the highest point because it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a, a fun season. Yeah, this is going to go great. It's going to go swimming. Yeah. I think the low point was in Boston later that year uh, when he misses the two free throws. When they're up to misses two free throws, they could have put the game away. They lose. Uh, he sits over in the side of the locker room. Everybody's upset. It's one of the great Russell Westbrook post games of all time. He wears a... <laughs> shiny coat fred katz and i talk about this all the time he's got this shiny coat that looks like if anybody remembers 90s hip-hop videos it looks like something out of a hype williams directed video he puts the hood up so that if he turns to face a reporter on one side of him nobody else can see his head and it just it was like performance art it was brilliant it's my favorite westbrook post game of all time and even like to the extent that He's waiting. He sits there. He finally gets into the scrum and he's brought a duffel bag with him and he puts it on the floor. And then like right when somebody's about to ask their first question, he ducks down out of frame and gets something out of the duffel bag. And like, like if you don't know anything about film production or comedy or whatever, people disappearing out of frame is universally funny. It's always <laughs> funny. So like when somebody's in a shot and they duck out of the shot, it's never not funny. And it's hilarious if you watch Westbrook do it. If you can find that Go back and watch it. Russell Westbrook post game 2018, maybe. Uh, it, it is Boston. It's just the best. It is my favorite moment ever with Russ. It's the greatest to ever do it, really. Yeah, just amazing. So, listen, in the spirit of old times, uh, as we're talking about old times, in the spirit of kind of, you know, one of the things you talked about, name that shoe size, guess that shoe size, whatever the game was. You guys <laughs> played a lot of games. We're not going to go that many. Uh, we're we're going to play basically one. Um, and it's not shoe sizes. Although if I knew all the Thunder shoe sizes, I might have sprung that on you oh uh, today. That sounds but like I don't know everybody's. I don't know anybody's, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. So what I want to do instead is play a little bit of Thunder Factor Fantasy. This is a thing, you know, a lot of we've done this over the years on various podcasts I've been on. Um, just kind of looking at where we are. 17 games. 
is not, you know, like I think 25 is sort of the sample size where people start to say, you know, there's something you can look at here and maybe there's some conclusions you can draw. I don't think we're there yet, but it's fun. So we're going to do it. We're going to take a look at some stuff. Uh, well, you know, do you believe in these things? It's a fact. Uh, do you think this is just, uh, you know, this is, this is early season, small sample size theater and it's fantasy. Um, and so we'll jump in with one that I think is easy. I don't know because I don't know what you're going to say. That's the joy of the podcast. Um, but I think Case and Wallace's 75.2% true shooting and his 58.6% three point shooting. I think you're going to tell me our fantasy, but the floor is yours. I mean, it's got to be fantasy to a degree, right? At this level, this would be unprecedented. No one's ever done this before, Uh, but it's been wildly impressive. I do think it's fact to an extent, right? It's going to come down. It's going to regress. There's no way he he stays at 62, 59, 91 splits. That's not (laughs) happening. But he's shooting 76% on corner threes. 19 of his attempts are from the corner three. And you know what, what I love about Cason Wallace and shooting that three is he's so confident when he shoots it. He's so quick when he shoots it. There's not a lot of movement in his shot. The mechanics look good. You trust it when he puts it up. So it's going into regress, but I do believe in him as a shooter, in him as a playmaker, in him as a driver. And really, he's just kind of a Swiss Army knife, right? He's been, he's been such a joy here already. So I'm going to say fantasy uh, for now. But I do think the shooting is real. Yeah, I think he's a better shooter than we thought. Like, I think he is genuinely better than it looked like he was. The second half of the year at Kentucky, he was not a very good shooter, but he had some injury stuff. Uh, The first half of the year at Kentucky, he was a pretty good shooter. I think surprisingly good. I don't think they expected it to to be nearly that good. I would say the the caveat for me, uh, I I do think it's fantasy. Obviously, it's fantasy that he's going to shoot 75% true shooting and 60% from three is not. That's not real. I do think there are a couple, if I have a knock on Cason Wallace as an offensive player, I'm not saying he's trying to protect those percentages. He takes such good shots that I think occasionally he's got to force the issue just a little bit more. Sometimes late clock, you got to take the best shot you can get and not necessarily the perfect shots you're taking. Um, He swung the ball once late clock the other day against Philly where it's like, you got to shoot that kid. Like that's you. Um, And so I think there's some, there's still a growth, a learning curve there in terms of like, you can't not every shot you're going to get is perfect and you got to learn sometimes to take those imperfect shots yeah it's it's tough to judge too much because you know he wants to fit in which you applaud uh that he he's coming in, he's not trying to do too much but you also see how good he is and you're like i want you to try to do too much because this team could really use you you made the point about philly in the minnesota game the other day he put the ball on the floor a couple times and that's what i want to see more out of him uh because i believe in him as a driver you know, he's listed at 6'4". I don't know that he's 6'4". He looks like the smallest player on the team to me, but he plays bigger than that. He looks stronger than that. And I think if he's able to attack the basket and finish, it's only going to open up that corner three even more for him because as he continues to knock them down, teams are really going to uh, respect it more and more and more. And it's going to make scoring even more difficult against some of these elite defenses like the Timberwolves. All right, so I think we're in agreement there that the 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 actual shooting at this point is a fantasy. But Cason Wallace as a shooter maybe is fact. Uh, yeah, we'll that, see how that's that goes. an impossible uh, question. Yeah, to of answer course, right there, right? Of course, yeah. it is. <laughs> so we're going to talk about one that's similarly almost impossible, and I want to frame this one a little differently. So, uh, factor fantasy here on Chet Holmgren, he's fifty forty ninety. He's in that range. He's in the territory of fifty Flirty. forty ninety. 
we can talk about that as factor fantasy and I want to, but I'll make this kind of two parts. One, that slash line, 50, 40, 88 at this point. Uh, but two, Chet Holmgren, factor fantasy, rookie of the year favorite as we enter December. Oh, I think it's a fact. Um, yeah. I, I think with everything you're seeing right now, how could it not be, right? He's he's the clear number one at this point, too. I think like people were hesitant because sort of how big of a freak Wimbenyama is and how just naturally gifted he is. And you can see some of the things he can do that Chet, frankly, can't do. And the, and the ceiling, you would think, is higher with, with someone like Wimbenyama who just has just skills that are off the charts. And that's not a knock on Chet. Wimbenyama is just a once-in-a-literal-lifetime li- player. But Chet, just how polished he's been and having the benefit of a good team around him that is structured and uh, doesn't doesn't have to go throw someone that's not a point guard at the point guard position like uh, Jeremy Sohan, right? And, and start playing with the way you produce and, and the way you win games and, and sort of make your team difficult to watch. That's not happening with the Thunder. The Thunder are the complete opposite. So I think Chet has that to work with. It's a complete fact. I mean, he's the rookie that your favorite, and I think he's only it's only grown since he really took that spot. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way the entire season because Women Yama's got the narrative benefit. I think that people want him to win. Uh, you know, he's he's a he's a superstar globally already. People know who, who Women Yama is, and they they want to see him become an all time great. But man, it's hard to deny how good Chet has been. I, the fact that this is even a question just shows that. Yeah, I kind of thought he might go in. I I went into the year thinking he had a great chance to win it. And I think almost for the opposite narrative reason, like there was so much hype about Wimbenyama, so much, it was such a foregone conclusion that he would be the best rookie, that if Chet was actually really good and playing for a really good team, it might make a lot of people, you know, Chet might almost be the sort of the alternative choice. He might be kind of the cool NBA smart guy choice. Like, oh, it's so easy to pick Wimbenyama. And a lot of the voters are NBA smart guys. And so I think that has a chance to, to play in his favor. Um, the rookie of the year is so interesting, and I understand why this is, because the best players end up on the worst teams. But we sort of argue against the idea of the team, right? People, people who love Wimbanyama and Spurs fans are saying, yeah, but look at the team Chet has, right? He's got it so much easier because he's on this good team. It's the exact opposite argument we make all the time for the MVP. It's like, well, his team is good, so he deserves to win the MVP. I, I understand why, because I understand the difference between a rookie and a, and a veteran player. I understand the difference in the two awards. Um, but I do think if Chet is on a really good team, um, and, and he is to this point, I do think it's actually going to end up helping him in this case, um, because I think the, the vote will be pretty even. I think, by and large, they're going to have two really good years. And I think people will be looking for reasons to pick one over the other. And I think the fact that they're a good team might help. The other thing is, you know, frankly, the redshirt rookie has been kind for rookie of the year. It's, it's really helped. And there's, yeah, I was asking Chauncey Billups about this the other day when I was in Portland, you know, asking him if he can look at Chet and see ways in which, oh, it's obvious this guy played. And he said, absolutely. Like his feel, not just his feel for the NBA game, but his feel for like what they want out of him, what the Thunder wants him to do and how his teammates play, like all that stuff. He's got that advantage. And like that has proven advantageous in rookie of the year voting. Ben Simmons won it over Donovan Mitchell when it was a big thing and Donovan had a sweatshirt and all that stuff. Um, Blake Griffin won it over John Wall when both guys had really good years. I think that year really, really matters. Um, not necessarily to voters, but in terms of just like production and polish and how they look. Yeah, I mean, he, he got a whole year to sit on the sidelines and watch a, a good team last year and a team really start to find itself, which to maybe his benefit and his narrative benefit this season, there's a lot of pressure on Chet. You yeah. know, you're walking in 
to a, a good team that has high expectations coming into the season. And th- those expectations have only built as the season has gone on. Now people are, you know, people were starting to pay attention to the Thunder in the preseason. Like, okay, we might need to start talking about them already. Now they're winning games. This team is going to get home court advantage in the playoffs. So, you know, people are saying that if that happens, if they're a top four seed and he's the second best player on the team, which he is and has clearly been. And I would assume if they get a top four seed, he will be the second best player on the team. How, how can you not give it to him? Yeah. I mean, and I think the second best player on the thing, team thing has been real clear to this yeah. point. I mean, it's not really even close, not close. Um, which is no knock on anybody else. He's nope. just been fantastic. He's really, really been good. Um, Let's talk about, you know, we've, ta- we've started off talking about rookies. So I'm going to stay on the rookie trend for a minute. And you might think there's not a third rookie to talk about. And yet there is. Uh, so fact or fantasy, Brandon, uh, Vasilya Mitic is, is a 12-minute-a-game guy who plays in about half the Thunder's games. Well, to this point, it's a, it's a fact. <laughs> but right. going, <laughs> going forward, I want to say fantasy, but I think this is, I have zero confidence in this answer, though. It's been a weird deal. You know, I really thought he'd play more part of the rotation to this point. And I understand, though, the Thunder are a deep team. A lot of good players. A lot of skilled players. Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of this. You, you know, they, they gave him three years, $24 million. Two of those years are fully guaranteed. That's got to mean something. I mean, it's not a ton of money in today's NBA, but that has to mean something. And when he's played, the team's played pretty well. Uh, The Thunder run quite a bit of pick and roll. That is what he excels in. And they're scoring a point per possession when he is running the pick and roll, which is pretty good. Uh, They've experimented with him sharing the court with Shea. And this is all in very, like, he's had zero consistency this year. And by the way, the Thunder have lost two games in a row, and he didn't step on the floor in either of them. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but, it's, but it is a fact. Um, to me, this is a guy that I, when you, I'm, I saw the Timberwolves game stuck in my head, right? And, and he's a guy that I thought could have maybe helped in that game. Um, you know, it was high stakes. It was, it was an intense game, so. There, there's been some speculation that maybe his legs aren't quite under him. It's a different season. It's a different animal, the NBA season, than EuroLeague. But the Thunder could have really used some playmaking down the stretch there, some shot making. I don't know that he's necessarily a shot maker, but he is a playmaker. He's an outstanding passer. And it just felt like the Thunder couldn't get good looks outside of Shea drives. And I would like to see someone else uh, be able to generate something positive. So I think down the line, he needs to play a part in this rotation in one way or another. I really do. Yeah, it's funny with Dagnault rotation questions. This is both fact and fantasy. It always is. Everything is because like, I think he's going to play about this. I don't think he's going to play a lot more now, whether he's only going to play in half the games. That's, I think, the bigger question. Are you going to see him more frequently? And the answer is, of course, at some point, yes, because that's the way Mark works. Like he's going to have a stretch where he plays in five out of six games because everybody does. Look how much I know some of this was injury focused, but look how much Usman Jang played early. And how little he's playing now. He's sent to the blue again. He's going to be playing some G League minutes. He already has. Um, and so Mitsich, I think eventually he'll get another chance. I agree with you. I think like it's funny that you mentioned the Minnesota game. I really thought the Philly game stood out as a game where they could have used him, particularly in the start of the fourth quarter. J Dub is out of that game. They don't really have a primary creator in there in that very beginning stretch of the fourth. And so maybe you get him out there to kind of jumpstart the offense a little bit when you have a, an offensive unit out there that's Pretty questionable. I know he's not the, the high-level defender a lot of their guys are. I think Cason Wallace has changed some of the calculus on him because I don't think anybody thought Cason would play this much or have this much trust from Mark Dagnall this fast, and that has happened. 
Um, so I don't, do I think the 12 minutes is going up a whole lot more? I don't, I don't think there's room for him because of the number of guys. Isaiah Joe is just a better player than he was a year ago. Um, and, and Kaysen is such a big surprise. I don't think there's a lot more minutes available for him, but the half the games thing, I just think over the course of the season, you're going to see him in more than half. Yeah. I mean, it's a good problem to have, right? Like, it's easy sometimes when you watch this Thunder team just how deep they are to forget. Like, you'll see a guy come on the court and he hasn't played in, to your point, you know, about Jang, he hasn't played in five games. And you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot he was just kind of chilling on the end of the bench and he's another weapon that you can throw out there. And I think this season, we haven't really seen Giddy break out of his playmaking shell yet. He really hasn't found a groove. And honestly, it sounds crazy, but I don't think J-Dub has either. His numbers are all up from last season, but it just doesn't feel like he's caught a rhythm. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that to it, too, that, that Mark wants to get those guys going before he really starts leaning on someone like Michich to, to take on that role. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I asked J-Dub today at practice or shoot around about, as we record this, they're, they're about to play the Lakers here in a couple hours. Um, I asked him about this idea of like, there are times when he's in the game and obviously Shea and Chet are the two leading scorers. Uh, for the season and he's third and there are times in the game when he's on the floor and those guys aren't. And I asked him about balancing out this idea of, you know, you still want to run a system. You still want to run within the confines of what you run. And yet sometimes they might just need you to go do stuff. You know, they might need you to just take over and go do some stuff. And he said, it's a little bit of a struggle to figure out that line sometimes because it's, he really didn't have this last year very much where they were sort of saying, you know, there's a unit out on the floor where you're kind of the guy and you can run some pick and roll and you can go get your own shot and you can just kind of like treat it like you're the offensive centerpiece. Uh, and so he said, still trying to figure out how to do that, reconcile needing to do that some. And then also, you know, like what he said is like, this is a really good team. It's a really good defensive team. Guys plays, play very hard defensively. He doesn't want to go down to the other end of the floor and just hog the ball and not let guys who are working hard at the other end get touches. But he also understands, I think, that sometimes that's what the offense calls for, is for him to just go get his. And I think it's a work in progress, just trying to piece that together. Yeah, and he could be one of those guys that just takes a little bit for him to really start figuring things out and the way defenses are playing this team, and then he adapts and then he attacks. Like you saw it last year, right? I know he's a rookie, but the last third of the season, he took it to another level. And we had a stretch there last season where Shea was out, and he was the leading scorer by a bunch, and he was the guy. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about here. And that's why it's a little surprising, I think, to hear that maybe J-Dub is a little apprehensive to take on that role because we know that he's capable, but he's just not getting those clean drives to the basket like he was last year. And whether that's on him or whether that's the way defenses are playing him this season because he's really put himself on the map, maybe it's a little bit of both. Uh, I think it's going to open up eventually for him. All, saying all that, he's still shooting 50% from the floor. He's averaging right. over 17 a game. I mean, the dude's a stud. We know this. But it's just that's, that's, how, that's how high his ceiling is, is that we can have this conversation right now. So I want to talk a little bit about the bench again. I know we've, we've leaned a little heavy on the bench this last question, but uh, I got to ask this one. I got to ask Brandon Soul, fact or fantasy, Alexei Pokashevsky, non-rotation player. It's got, it's got to be a fact right now. I, I, it just We just haven't seen enough from Poku. I mean, he had his best stretch of basketball early in the year last year where he was probably legitimately the Thunder's fifth or sixth best player for a bit. He looked nice. Uh, one play that will always stick in my head about Poku, maybe the best play he ever made as an NBA player was 
transition block on job Morant where he spun and he kind of did a 180 and and blocked yeah. a shot and transition it was like whoa i think poku is starting to figure things out a little bit the game is slowing down for him and then what happens he gets hurt and it's, it's a tragedy and he has a setback and he gets hurt again so it's it's been a series of unfortunate events for poku and now he plays on one of the deepest teams in basketball um and he just so happens to be sorry, I got a gnat flying around my face. Um, then he's so he so happens to be just battling for minutes in, in his final year of his rookie contract. Didn't get the extension. We just haven't seen enough. The team's too deep. They're too good. I don't know what you do with him at this point, Brett. I really don't. Um, it's a tricky situation for Presty. He deserves an opportunity at some point in time, though. I think you got to get him some run. You got to do the. The thing where you roll him out there for five games and see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I think they will give him a chance. I do think it's fact that he's just not going to be a, a key player here. And I don't think it says too much about, well, it does say something about where he is. Obviously, if he's a really good player, you find a way to fit him in. It says more, I think, more than anything, it, it speaks to how good Chet is and the way Chet has just sort of changed their front court rotation. Um, you know, they, they like the idea if they're going to play another big with Chet, I think they like the idea of that being J will Jalen Williams. Maybe that's a spot for Poku. If you're looking at two guys on the floor at the same time, maybe ultimately he proves to you that he deserves a look there. But the other thing is that Kenridge Williams has just proven like valuable to winning. He's just a good, yeah, helpful rotation player. And that's like another big, they just don't have a ton of space. Um, for Poku in the rotation. Usman Jang, again, he was in the rotation for a little bit, yeah. not anymore. Um, and so I just think, you know, you've got three pretty established bigs on a team that's going to play small. You've got Chet, you got Jay Will, and I'm counting Kenridge Williams as a big, even though you could almost play him. I mean, like size wise, he can almost be a small forward. He's really a center for them. Um, J Dub is kind of a power forward a lot of the time defensively. Like they just, they're going to play small a lot and they've got three really good guys that they want to get minutes for. And, and I think that's just going to squeeze Poku out a little bit. When you go up and down this rotation and this roster, every single guy, for the most part, brings something to the table that no one else really does. And they, they do something outstanding that no one else does. And what, what is that for Poku? You know, what does he do that, that Chet doesn't do? Nothing. Like, uh, really nothing. And so I don't know how he really earns that spot. That, that He just doesn't provide anything that someone else on the roster doesn't do better. All right, so I got some team stuff I want to get to. Before that, I want to move into one last sort of more player-focused fact or fantasy, which is, do we buy... You just talked about the depth of this roster, the sheer you know number of players who need minutes and can do different things for you. Even with all that, even with Chet Holmgren as a clearly established second best player and, and a, I think, constantly improving offensive player. Fact or fantasy, Shea Gildas-Alexander is still a 30-point-a-game guy because he is right now today. Uh, so how should I answer this? Should I say by season's end, will Shea Gildas-Alexander yep. be averaging 30 a game? That is the question. I got to say fact. This is a tough one. This is a very tough one because I want to say fantasy because I want to say I think Giddy Giddy starts his scoring uptakes a little bit and that, and that eats into Shea. And maybe even Chet scoring uptakes as he begins to figure it out, continuing to figure it out, I should say. Maybe J-Dub's upticks, but Shea is just such a prolific scorer. And when you need a bucket, who do you give the ball to? It's, it's Shea Gildas-Alexander. He's, he's one of the best in the league to do it. 
and he's only got better. I mean, his efficiency is just off the charts. Like, it, it, I, I think it, I think it's fact. I think he's going to be averaging thirty by the end of the season, and, and scoring is, you know, like it's it's off the charts this season. Like, it, it, it's just continuing to go that way, and and someone's got to do it, and he's the guy to do it. And I just don't think they have anyone else they can really give the ball to and say, "Go get a bucket." Yeah, I think coming into the year, I was pretty sold on the idea that he was going to be at like twenty-seven and a half, twenty-eight because of the number of guys who would need to score. Um, and not just Chet. Like you said, I, I thought Josh Giddy scoring might be a little better. I thought J-Dub would make a pretty significant leap as a scorer. And so some of that was going to have to come from somewhere. Um, but I think, I mean, he's at 30 and a half right now, so that's not a big margin for error to fall below 30. But I will say, I know his free throw attempts yeah. are down. They're down on drives. His drives are down slightly, and his free throw attempts on drives are down a little bit disproportionately to where his drives are. And that's kind of true across the league. If you look at it, a lot of guys who drive a lot are getting fewer free throws. The question I think on that is like, is that one of those, you know, at the beginning of the year, we're cracking down on some of this drive stuff and then we're going to relax that over the course of the year because that's often what happens to points of emphasis in the NBA. So my guess is he's going to shoot more free throws in the second half of the year than he ends up shooting in the first half of the year. And I think that's going to give him a little bit of cushion. So I, I would have told you coming in, I did not think at all that he was going to get to 30 and it was no knock on him. I thought it said a lot more about the team around him. I think now he probably is going to get there, even as I think Chet's scoring average will probably be a little higher by the end of the year than it is right now. Yeah, he's averaging 30 and he had a seven-point game early in the year too. Like, yeah. and, and you mentioned his free throws are down, not just down a little, three and a half attempts a game. That, yeah. that's, a, that's a big drop-off for him. And his assists are at a career high. So to me, when you just think about things evening out and, and your point, I think is a good one about how does, how does the officiating continue going forward? I think it just leads to him scoring 30. I really do. Yeah. All right. So I got a couple team things before we get out of here. And if you have anything to throw in there, you just fire away at it. But um, do you, do you buy or fiction? The Thunder are the worst non wizards rebounding team in the NBA. The wizards don't really count. Yeah. Yeah, I buy it. I think I think it's a fact. And this is a tough one to swallow because it, as a fan of the team, it's probably one of the most difficult things to watch when you've been watching basketball your whole life. And rebounding is such an emphasis and a team can't grab the ball. And, you're, and you look up at the offensive rebounding rate that's a new feature on the giant new Jumbotron in Paycom Arena and you see it's 48% for <laughs> the it, opponent. And you're like, what is... What's going on? What a here? year to start that. What a year to introduce <laughs> right, offensive right. rebounding percentage. Uh, it, so, so, yeah. But on the other hand, if it doesn't matter, right. at least at this level, you can't, like, it, it gets frustrating. And it's going to matter at some point in time. You got to be able to grab a rebound. But uh, I, I, I got to buy it. You know, Chet's not exactly a prolific rebounder for his size. Giddy's rebounding is down over to a game. And maybe some of that is because of the space that, that Chet occupies. It's just not as clean to get in there. Dort's rebounding is down. Jo Dub's rebounding is down. Joe's not exactly a good rebounder. I do think Kenrich will help this as the season goes on. He knows what he needs to do to help this team. And I think he looks at the session and says, I need to go get some rebounds. And that's exactly what he'll go do. But yeah, they're just not a, a good rebounding team. Even Jay will, you know, for his size, not a great rebounder. Yeah, I got to say, uh, they what they really need more than anything right now. They're a pretty good box out team. I think NBA.com says they're better than anybody in terms of how often they do it. So a lot of times what they need is somebody to clean up on a box out. Sometimes it's a long rebound. Sometimes it's not. You just need to go in and get it. So what they really need 
in the irony of ironies, they need a guard to go get a bunch of rebounds that somebody else boxed <laughs> out for, which is just a thing that everybody complained forever and ever about Russell Westbrook doing. Now they need Josh Giddy to do it, and they need Jalen. Oh, Williams to I do thought it. you were going to suggest something else. No, no, okay. no. They just need these <laughs> I guys. That was not going to su- believe me. I'm not going to suggest that. <laughs> if I'm thinking what you're thinking, yeah, I was thinking. Um, no, they need those guys to do the thing he used to do all the time. They need those guys to go get a couple of things. That's now, right. Some of the other stuff. Look, I, I, I've I've talked to death about the rebounding. Uh, it's important to note that they are trading off some of the rebounding. Like they're playing this way for reason. They're playing with Chet at the level of the screen instead of putting him in drop, and that's going to affect your rebounding a little bit, but it's also going to allow you to create a lot more chaos. He can still get back and protect the rim, but sometimes that means he's not going to rebound. Um, you know, I think there are some, some times where their ball pressure needs to be a little better. When the help is coming is when they're getting hurt a little. There's a lot of stuff like that, but they want to be pressuring the ball. They want Chet up a high. They don't want him dropped. Um, they're doing a lot of stuff where some of the trade-off is going to be rebounding. What they need to do a little better, they need to be like 20% better at grabbing a long rebound that just kind of goes into space. And they, that's where I think that if you're going to criticize their rebounding, it's plays like, you know, um, I think the most glaring one was Keegan Murray just beats Chet to a ball and throws it off Chet in Sacramento where like Chet has Chet's in position to get the ball and he just doesn't like they've got to get, way more of those than they get because they're just not going to get some of the other ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And and it and to your point about someone flying in and grabbing a rebound and just being a little bit reckless, quite frankly, and and just going up and getting it and timing it. I I only think that helps to a guy like Gideon, a guy like Dub. Get out and transition with the ball and get moving. You know, you see Chet grab those boards and put it on the floor and good things happen. And I think when you have an offense as efficient as this one is, that's why you that's why you play this style because you know you're going to get it on the other end and you're not worried to give up some of these rebounds. It's frustrating to watch sometimes, but you know, how can how can you how can you deny it when when the Thunder's been playing so well? Well, that's the thing. And they've just, you know, they've got to get the, if they're going to play the way they're going to play, they got to force a ton of turnovers, they got to score off those turnovers. They got to do all these things that offset you know, um, they, they got to contest shots, which they do a great job of. They've got to contest at the rim, which through shot blocking and charge taking, they're really good at contesting in the paint. So like they just have to do all that stuff. And I know it's hard because I believe me, I know for some people on Twitter, it's hard X, whatever. Um, cause they tell me about it all the time about how miserable they are watching the offensive rebounding. But just keep in mind that some of this is strategic. Some of it is a, is a by design trade-off and that's just kind of the way it is. The result of this trade-off so far is that they're very good. And that brings me, Brandon, to the big one, the big question here, the big factor fantasy. 64.7% of their games, that's what the Thunder winning, right about 65%. That would make them a 53-win team at the end of the season if this maintains. So factor fantasy, this is who they are. They're a team that's going to win 65% of their games. Oh, my gosh. I think it's a fact. Um, you know, I didn't think this coming into the season. I really didn't. I thought uh, there was just a little bit too much hype. I thought everyone needed to cool their jets a little bit. But watching this team, I think it's really, really hard to deny. And and not just watching this team, but watching the, the rest of the West, Western Conference. Uh, you're, you're sort of seeing the teams that are making a name for themselves, like the Timberwolves, like the Thunder, and, and Denver, of course. But the youth on these teams, the Kings, I think they're leading to regular season wins. You know, I think they want it. These guys have drive where some of these other older teams, like even Dallas, I I would almost consider an older team. Luca feels like he's been in the league for 10 years at this point, even though I know he hasn't, but 
go down the list, Golden State, I, I just don't think every night matters as much to them. So I'm getting like last year Sacramento Kings vibes from this team about how they could totally earn the three seed and be the underdog in the first round. I could see a situation where that happens. So I, I buy it. I think it's a fact. I think this is who they are. I think they're going to win 50 games. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the 50. I mean, 53 is, it's a difference yeah. of three, but, um, but it's a difference. It's, I, it's, I do yeah. think they're in that 48, 49, 50 ish range, which is not exactly where I thought they were going to be coming in. I was thinking more like 44, 46. Um, and so this is a pretty significant jump to me to say, I think they can win 50, but I do. And I, I will tell you the other thing I think they've been really good at. And there's two ways of looking at this, right? They've lost to the elite teams they've played. So Denver beat their brains in Philly really handled them. They they competed late to keep the Philly game close, but Philly controlled that game for the most part. Uh, Minnesota, the best team in the West by record. Um, you know, they, they gave themselves a chance to win, but Minnesota outclassed game. them in the second half. They were a much sure. better second half team. Thunder did a great job to stay in the game. Your best player gets a three-pointer at the horn to tie and send it to overtime. You can't ask for much more than that. And you're on the road. That's tough. It's a tough situation. Well, it's That's not a, easy. It's not yeah. easy dealing with Troy Brown. A hundred percent. Yeah. Who can stop three points per game? Troy Brown from getting 17. <laughs> Almost nobody. Um, but the thing is like, that doesn't matter that much in terms of getting to 50 wins. It, it's not college football. Your quality of win is not a factor here in what happens to you for seeding. Um, you know, what matters is you beat the teams you're supposed to beat and they're great at it. They're great yeah. at beating the teams they're supposed to beat. And as we know here in Oklahoma city, cause we've seen it in the past, the way you tumble down to the four, five, six seeds is because you lose a lot of those games. There aren't that many great teams in the NBA. No. The West, we came in Especially talking about West. how, yeah, we talked, we came in talking about how great the West is. But the reason the West is great is because there aren't a lot of bad, bad teams. Yeah. But there's also not a lot of great teams. You got a lot of, ga a lot of games against teams you should beat in your building and teams you'll have a chance to beat in, the, in their house. And that's certainly true when you go East. You're going to have a lot of teams you should beat on the road. And or, or can beat on the road and should beat at home. And if you do that, and so far this team's done a really good job of taking care of business. If you do that, you're going to get around 50. That's the recipe for getting to 50. Beat all the teams you're supposed to beat, and you know have a have a 400 record against the teams you're not. Yeah, I think that's a great call, and I think the Thunder match up really well with basically every team in the West outside of Denver, outside of Sacramento, who always seems to give them trouble. The Pelicans too. Herb Jones does. He, he might be the best Shea defender in the league. Um, and there's one more, there's one more that I was thinking of, uh, I don't, oh, t and the Timberwolves who, yeah, who are an outstanding defensive team and giant, but, yeah, who, just giant. but you think about it, that game the other night and that is a total learning experience for this yep. Thunder team and for Chet in particular, like talk about a guy that bounces back and learns quickly. He's only shown that up to this point. That is a game that's going to stick with him. And the Timberwolves have now beat the Thunder the last two times they played, and they've both been very meaningful games, seemingly. Obviously, the last one to play in, this one was the in-season tournament that didn't really matter, but it mattered. You watch that game, you know it mattered. It, it, was, it was playoff intensity there. So, But, but the Thunder got the win at, at Phoenix. They beat Golden State in back-to-back -back games at Golden State, something they don't do historically. I know it's not the same Golden State team, but it is Golden State. Uh, so I, I'm right there with you. I just don't think... I think the Thunder are more often a bad matchup for who they're playing than the other way around. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's the thing about the small ball. That's the whole thing about the, the trade-off with the rebounding and all that stuff. They're just going to, they create so much havoc, and Chet is such a weapon at both ends of the floor uh, that a lot of teams just don't know what to do with him, and it's, it's been pretty fun. Some of that stuff will get figured out. It's the NBA. Some people are going to scout some stuff and take away some stuff with Chet. But I think the thing where the guy turns the corner and Chet's 
by the rim and the guy doesn't know what to do with the ball, that's not going to change. You know, like, yeah, he's going to create bad decisions around the rim a lot because that's what he does. That's what Gobert does. It's what Anthony Davis does. It's what he's going to do. And the Thunder really take it to the next level, too, if he continues to do that and doesn't start saying, hey, we need a rebound here, so I'm not going to go contest the shot. Right. Instead, someone on the weak side comes and grabs that rebound, to your point earlier. Yeah. That's Brett, what I actually do. have one. I have a factor fantasy for you. Okay. If you're ready. For Fire it. away. No, I love it. The Thunder have enough shooting on this roster to win a playoff series. Oh, that's a great question. So I want to say... My, my inclination, maybe just because it's the Thunder, I want to say fantasy, right? It's like, it can't be right. Yeah. The Thunder can't yeah. possibly have enough shooting. It's never to win been a playoff fact. <laughs> um, I think to win a playoff series, I think they do have enough shooting. I, I think that's fact. I don't, I, like, I think it's fantasy that Isaiah Joe is going to shoot 47%, you know, like he's shooting right now. I don't think he's going to make half of his threes, but I do think he's a plus 40% shooter. Uh, I think mm -hmm. Chet is going to be a really good shooter. I think he'll be, you know, if he's not over 40, he's going to be close to that. And Chet's shooting is so meaningful. I think in, when you talk about trying to win a playoff series, having a legitimate stretch five, it, it's it's so, so powerful, even in the regular season. But in the playoffs, it just creates so many problems for people. And if you close out to him, uh, he's showing you that he can put it on the floor. There's so much stuff. They have threats who make you close out hard. Um and then, you know, Casey Wallace, I don't, again, I don't think Casey Wallace is going to make more than half his threes, but if he's a credible threat that forces people to close out to him, I think they've got enough shooting in the sense that I think they have enough guys who can make threes and also enough guys who can force defenses to react to them where defenses feel like you have to guard them. It's already happening some with Chet. Rudy Gobert was not bothering, but most teams are closing hard to Chet. I think teams will start to do it to Casey Wallace. Um, and teams certainly are going to do it to Isaiah Joe. And all those guys have shown an ability that they can attack that closeout. And I think guys like Chet and Casey will get better at it. They're so young. Um, they'll get even better. So I, I do think there's enough. If they look, would I like to see this team with one more big shooter uh, who doesn't wreck what they do defensively and doesn't wreck what they do with the ball movement and player movement, and all that stuff? Sure. I think if there's a guy out there you can go get. Um, I think that's worth considering. It doesn't have to be a star where you leverage all this capital, but if there's a piece out there, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. Uh, but I think they can get by a playoff series with what they have. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting. It's, I think it's the biggest question for me to this point. And you know, I'm still prisoner of the moment that that Timberwolves game. They're the best defense in the league. So what are you gonna do? But the way they were playing the Thunder late in that game just had me fast forwarding a bit. Like how our team's gonna play the Thunder when they need to win. And that gave me a glimpse of that, and it worried me a little bit. Now, Dagnalt's going to, he's going to play with rotation, different closing lineups and stuff. This is a regular season game. He's not throwing his best five necessarily out there every single game. That's not his plan. That's not what they're going to do every single game all season long. But I thought, I thought in that game when Giddy and Dort shared the court together, it made things really tough. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Dort has, has fallen off a little bit from where he started the season. And really, he looks, it's not that he's, I mean, he's not finishing at the level he was. He's not making kickout passes at the level he was. He's not making threes at the level he was. But he's also getting way less opportunity. And I think the reason is, is because you're getting more Shea and you're getting more Chet and you're getting more of that two-man two game that's really building. And that's coming at the expense of, of Giddy and Dort and, and those guys getting some opportunity. So with that said, I just wonder if you start to see a shift as games become more meaningful with, with who's on the court 
at those times. And it's going to be so important for Chet to, to continue to shoot the ball well. Because if he dips down, you know, the 36, 37%, I don't think teams are going to really start to respect that at the level you're seeing right now. Uh, but, and, and he started, he started like amazing, right? Like that, that was unsustainable, just unsustainably hot start. I did not think he was going to shoot this many threes. I don't know if you did. I didn't. No, no. 36% of his attempts are from three right now. Yeah. And I, I don't know I think if that's that, good or bad. I think it I'm needs sure. to come down because I think they need to diversify the ways they involve him. Um, yeah, I want to see him uh, diving and pick and rolls a little bit more. Yes. I want to see him as a lob threat more than he's been to this point. Um, I do think you want, and I, I think he's got that kind of floater. He's showing a lot of different stuff. And I think you want to see him show that different stuff. I think it's important. I do think the closeouts really matter. So our team's going to say, we need to close out the case of Wallace or no. Um, you know, cause if they say no, he might continue to shoot a great percentage, um, but you might stay, it's worth the trade off case. Wallace doesn't take enough of them that we feel mm -hmm. the need to attack him with closeout. That sort of stuff is going to be really interesting. You know, they've got Berton sitting there and I know he's not yeah. been an effective player. Um, Berton's is the kind of guy who could win you a playoff game. Um, <laughs> you know, like he can just get in there and make five and, and give you a chance to win a game that you wouldn't otherwise have won. Um, and that might happen in a playoff series, especially like a first round series. I could see that happening. Um, I do think the question is like the, the, the idea of, do they just say it's worth it for any of these guys to shoot? If we can take away a little something from Shea, I mean, it's definitely worth considering. Yeah. It's definitely something some teams that's, that's a, that's math that some teams are going to do. Yeah. I mean, the, the paint gets absolutely packed late in games when Shea gets there. And you know, I think that's one area that Shea can continue to improve is quicker decisions when he gets to those spots in the paint. When he sees the defense start to swarm him, make that fast decision and kick the ball out. Because right now he does, I mean, he's got amazing footwork. We all know that. And he's mostly looking to score. But if the basket isn't there, now things have sort of died. If you, if you haven't caught that shooter in rhythm, you're, you're probably not going to get, you're probably not going to hit the shot. So uh, I, I think we'll see that continue to develop as the season goes on. Yeah, for sure. Brandon, uh, we got to run. I got a game I got to get to here shortly. We got pregame stuff, all kinds of stuff going on. Thank you so much. We got to do this again because, again, I could talk to you all day about Thunder basketball. I just never get tired of it. Thanks so much, Brad. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Brandon Soul, everybody. 